Good morning, friends, and let me add my welcome. My name is Rob, and I'm a pastor here. It's good to see you this morning, whether you're a longtime member or a new visitor. We are glad that you're here. We're continuing on in our series in Mark, Follow the King. We're at the end of Mark chapter 10, this last little encounter before Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. And we see in these last verses in Mark 10 that Jesus has an encounter with a gentleman who is lacking eyesight, but he has significant insight. So let me invite you to open your Bible, look at the screen. We'll read Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And we heard that Jesus of Nazareth, uh, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, friends. Mighty and merciful Father, we do pray this morning that you would help each and every one of us to see that you would save us from distraction, that you would open our eyes to see who Jesus is and to see ourselves as we should. Um, would you rescue us this morning from being those who are ever seeing but never perceiving? Would you silence the lies of our soul's great enemy? For we wish to see our, your Son and our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Unexpected heroes, unlikely examples. This past week, I've been back in Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, kids. Some of you might have read To Kill a Mockingbird in school. And, I, and this week, I came across this scene uh, you might remember it where Atticus Finch, right? Atticus Finch, the protagonist, he is uh, defending uh, Tom Robinson, who has been, uh, he's a black man accused of assaulting a white woman in 1930s rural Alabama, all right? So here's the scene. Atticus has decided, it's, it's the night before the big trial, and uh, he's decided he's going to sleep outside or he's going to stay outside of the jailhouse uh, where Tom Robinson is being kept because he's worried that some of the locals are going to take matters into their own hands, right? And that actually turns out to be true. Some of the locals start showing up in ones and twos, and they, they start to form a mob, right? And, and something else that's been going on is Atticus's kids have been spying on their father from a distance, Right? But when this mob starts to form, the kids, led by little Scout, his daughter, run to the side of the father, Atticus. Right? So there they are, this mob surrounding Atticus and little Scout. Little Scout's kind of naive to the broad strokes of what's going on right here in this confrontation. So little Scout 
actually recognizes one of the gentlemen in the mob. And so she starts this rather cordial conversation with him, right? Mr. Cunningham, she says, and she starts talking to him in a way that defuses the situation, that humanizes the encounter and changes everything. Eventually, the mob departs. I was, I was struck by how Atticus described it the next morning. He said this, uh, so it took an eight-year-old child to bring him to their senses, didn't it? <laughs> Maybe we need a police force of children. You children last night made Walter Cunningham stand in my shoes for a minute. And that was enough. Unlikely heroes, surprising examples. You know, in a late night racially charged confrontation, uh, mobs with murderous intent, I doubt any of us would have been there and said, you know what we need? We could really use some third graders right now. <laughs> but it was little scout that came and surprisingly changed everything. At the end of Mark chapter 10, something just as surprising and startling is going on. All right, because what's being held up as an example, a model disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ is being held up for all to see. And it's not a well put together individual. It's not someone of status, either economic or intellectual. It's not a, um, you know, a member that has any standing in the community, be it civic or religious. It's a roadside beggar wearing a dusty cloak, living in ever-present darkness alongside the road outside of Jericho going up to Jerusalem. And these verses reveal to us the heart of discipleship. They reveal to us a model Christian. What it means to be a Christian we see is about seeing and seeking. That's what it means to be a Christian. Seeing who Jesus is and who we are and seeking to come to him and follow him. So we'll let those be our signposts this morning. Seeing and seeking, right? Verse 46 introduces us to who Bartimaeus is. We're told that we're outside of Jericho. The disciples are there. As often as the case, a crowd is there. We're told, hey, there's Bartimaeus. He's the son of Timaeus. Uh, and that's literally what his name means, son of Timaeus. But let's linger here on the name for one more second. Because remember, Mark is very economic and efficient with his use of words, right? But here he goes out of his way to provide these details of name, family relation, and location. That means something. It's helpful for us. He's providing details that his early readers could follow up on, right? If, if you're, you're tempted to treat the Gospels as a sort of fable or fairy tale, if you're making up a story to try to pass off as true, you usually don't add actual names and family relations and geographic locations, right? Like if I wanted to pass off as true some sort of story about a gentleman living in Mosby Woods, right? Named Ricky Wayne Fundle, who every Saturday had an omelet buffet in the pool parking lot. Like I just couldn't do that here, could I, right? Because there's too many Mosby Woods residents that would be like, hey, Rob, there is no such fundal and there is no such omelet bar, right? Custer's on the pool board over there. He's going to say, hey, we don't have an omelet bar every Saturday morning. These details add credibility to the historicity of the Gospels. 
Early readers could have asked, in Jericho, was there a blind man by this name who had this father that sat outside of the city? So we see in Bartimaeus, one who sees who Jesus is and one who sees who he is. He sees those realities rightly. All right, Bartimaeus, his eyes aren't working, but his ears tell him what his eyes can't. The crowd's commotion is letting him know that there is someone important coming by, and he hears that it is Jesus of Nazareth. All right, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by, and look what he does. Well, first, look what he doesn't do. He doesn't politely inquire, hey, whatever is all this noise about? Could someone tell me? Now, he can sense that hope is near. And he shouts, Jesus, even though he's he's heard about Jesus of Nazareth, he, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's the content of that cry that lets us know that he sees things rightly. Because he says, Jesus, son of David. Others might be talking about Jesus of Nazareth, but he, see, he says, Jesus, son of David. Bartimaeus is connecting the dots because apparently he's heard the news of this this guy. Apparently he's heard about the healings and the miracles. He's heard about the power of his teachings. He's remembered what Isaiah says in chapter 35, that when the Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind will be opened. And so he's connected these dots and he cries out, this is the son of David. This is the promised king and the rescuer. And so that's what he cries out, son of David. So to be a Christian is to see Jesus rightly for who he is, not simply as a wise sage that's just a good teacher delivering wisdom. Not simply as just an example for us to follow. You can't come to Jesus on your own terms. You can't define Jesus on your own terms. You have to see him as the king and rescuer who has come to bring salvation. And if you see him as rescuer, guess what? That necessarily means you see yourself in need of rescue. Don't let the irony be lost on you, right? It's Bartimaeus, the blind man, that sees who Jesus is. The disciples didn't see that this was Jesus when they were in the boat with him in the storm. They didn't see that, right? The the, the scribes and the Pharisees got two good eyes, but they couldn't see that this was Jesus, the king and the rescuer. Bartimaeus saw what Jesus' mother and brothers didn't see. Um, what the rich young ruler couldn't see standing right before him, the blind beggar saw that this was the king and promised rescuer. We have to see Jesus for who he is. And then we have to see ourselves for who we are. Right? He, he makes the right request He says, son of David, have mercy on me, all right? There's no rich young ruler, tell me what I must do. There's no nonsense of, hey, who is the greatest? Or can we sit on your right hand or left hand, right? He doesn't promise anything. He doesn't say, I'll give anything. He doesn't negotiate. He just says, have mercy on me. He makes the right request. He knows what he needs. He sees himself rightly. This word mercy is helpful for us because it conveys that Bartimaeus seems to understand that he needs more than just physical healing, 
right? He needs something to help him deal with his sin and with his shame. He needs more than just sight. He needs mercy. And friends, um, sometimes I can relate to Bartimaeus because apart from corrective lenses, my vision is 2400, all right? Like if I lived in a time before corrective lenses, I would have been sitting beside Bartimaeus, all right? Um, if you're here this morning, it really doesn't matter if your vision is 2020 or even 2010. If you don't see your need for mercy, then you're not seeing reality as it truly is. Each and every one of us needs mercy. Students, think about why you might need mercy. Kids, sometimes you, listen, if you're treating your brother or sister or your parents in a way that hurts them, and we've all done that, you need mercy. Um, when you cheat at school, all right, when you cheat at school because you want to get a better grade or because you didn't do that work you know you were supposed to do, you need mercy and grace and forgiveness. When you repay evil for evil because someone's hurt you or your friends, you need mercy, grace, or forgiveness. We are a people who need mercy. Sometimes we have, um, or often we have new members joining the church and they stand up here and they take their vows. And I'm always tempted to just make it abundantly clear that those who stand up here and join our church, they are not joining the club of all those who have gotten their stuff together. Right? They, they are not being recognized for officially uh, having attained you know, the Good and Upstanding Citizen Award. Anyone who is a Christian, anyone who joins our church is declaring that they need mercy, that they have been rescued, that they've been delivered, that they have seen Jesus and they've seen themselves and they've said, have mercy on me. That's what it means to join this church. That's what it means to be a Christian. Let's move from seeing to seeking, all right? So he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd tries to shut him down, right? Speculation as to why. Maybe some would speculate, well, maybe it's because this whole son of David stuff. They're like, hey, easy on that son of David stuff. Let's not go that far, all right? Many would say it's just because they're saying to Bartimaeus, hey, be piped down, right? Like, Someone important's here and ain't nobody got time for you. Someone important is passing by. So they try to, try to shut them up. They say, hey man, stop it with that stuff. And I love Bartimaeus' response. <laughs> Do you see what it says there? Verse 40, 48, he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Why? Because he's desperate. Because he's desperate and he is seeking Jesus. So he doesn't care what the crowds and the clowns think. He's going to do whatever it is to get to Jesus. Time for saving face or caring what others think is gone. He's got to get to Jesus. No place for pretending. No place for acting like you've got it all together. I think that's some of the power of some of the recovery groups that some of us know about, right? Like um, you sit in the circle at Alcoholics Anonymous, you go to a recovery group that helps you recover from sexual addiction or gambling or whatever it might be. You sit in that circle and you realize, hey, the time for pretending is gone. By sitting there, you're admitting your desperation. You need help. 
All right, you don't care what others think at that moment. And my prayer is that that would be something of this church, right? That we are a people desperate for mercy and running to Jesus, just admitting it. Hey, we're broken. We need mercy. It doesn't matter what others think. So he runs to Jesus. Jesus hears his cry, he stops and he calls him. And don't you love crowds? Don't you just love how fickle crowds are, right? Like they go from like, hey, pipe down. Jesus says, call him to me. And they're like, hey, man, it's great. Uh, Jesus is he's calling you. And be careful about how much hope you put in crowds. But Jesus calls to him. And I, I wonder sometimes about the logistics of like, well, how did this blind man find Jesus? We don't know all of it, but we know one thing. He threw off his cloak. It's no small detail, right? Think about his cloak. Think about what his existence is. His existence is sitting outside every day, every season in the elements. So when he throws away his cloak, he's throwing away his North Face jacket, all right? He's throwing away his Patagonia. This is his protection and his refuge. It's his, probably his most significant possession. He throws it off. Why? Because he doesn't want anything to trip him up or slow him down when it comes to getting to Jesus. Right? Like the rich young ruler, when it came to his possessions, he wasn't willing to part from them. Bartimaeus, he can't throw it off fast enough to get to Jesus. So he runs up to Jesus and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Now I'm tempted to think with all due respect, it's kind of clear what needs to happen here, Right? But Jesus is never content to impersonally uh, or arbitrarily deal with someone, right? Like he is always sincerely engaging and involved with the individual that comes before him. I appreciated what one commentator said. By By asking him a question, Jesus allows him to express himself as a person rather than apologizing for himself as a social problem or victim. Jesus gives him the dignity of engaging and saying, hey, what do you want me to do for you? And see what Bartimaeus says. Bartimaeus says, he, he says, um, you know, Jesus, let me, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And we need, to, we need to always remind ourselves that it's not the amount of our faith that makes us well. It's the object of our faith. And so Bartimaeus has made the right request of the right person and he's found healing. All right, last verse, last part of 52. I want us to see this because if we miss this, then we miss a big part of what discipleship is and what being a Christian is. The last words of our passage this morning say this. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You see this? Bartimaeus did not stop seeking Jesus, all right? He didn't say, hey, Jesus, thanks, thanks for the, the 2020 hookup. I'm good now. I'm going to go do my own thing. No, he knew he needed more from Jesus than just sight. He needed mercy, and he kept following Jesus. Christians, disciples, follow Jesus.
All right. We don't treat Jesus like he's a means to an end. Jesus is the end. Christians follow Jesus. Bartimaeus goes from being um, a beggar alongside the road to a disciple on the road. So we just need to remember, like, hey, Christian maturity, it's marked by following Jesus. Christian maturity isn't marked by spending a lot of time around the things of Jesus. It's marked by following Jesus. Um, should you give significant attention to studying God's word and, and learning theology? Yes and yes, very much so. But can you know a lot of scripture and know a lot of theology and still not follow Jesus? Unfortunately, we know that's very true. It can happen. All right. Um, Bartimaeus follows Jesus. He doesn't stop seeking Jesus. Also, um, what it means to grow as a Christian is to grow in this reflex of seeing we need to cry daily for mercy. All right. Like the cry for mercy is not a one-time cry. We need to cry daily for mercy. So um, in your dating life, if you are dating, you need to cry for mercy. Jesus, help, have mercy on me and show me how to honor you as I date. In your marriage, if it's a wreck, cry for mercy. If it's not a wreck, cry for mercy to sustain it and keep it that way. Um, in your battles with addiction, we cry for mercy. In your success. All right. Fairfax Friends 2023, let me tell you this. Probably for many of you, the greatest threat to your spiritual growth and your soul is success and comfort, all right? And if you think for some reason in the midst of your success, you don't need to cry for mercy, then you are at great peril. Jesus, have mercy that in my success, I would be saved from thinking I got here on my own. Jesus, in your mercy, um, in my success, save me from finding my identity or hope in my performance or what I've achieved because I will be ruined if it's lost or if I fail. Jesus, have mercy in the midst of my success. Growing as a Christian means we grow in our reflex to seek mercy day in and day out. One more question for you to consider. Maybe in your journal tonight, maybe as a community group, is there a cloak that you need to throw off? All right, like is there something that's hindering you or slowing you down in coming to Jesus? Maybe it's a relationship, like that relationship is pulling you away from Jesus. Maybe it's your pride. You are wearing the cloak of pride and Jesus is over there and your pride is keeping you from getting to Jesus. Uh, what is hidden cannot be healed. What is your cloak that you might need to throw off to run to Jesus? Bartimaeus sees Jesus and he sees himself and he follows Jesus. And remember, he's there at Jericho, but remember where Jesus is going. He's, he's going to Jerusalem. And this table right here, this table reminds us of what he's going to do in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to give his body to be broken and he's going to shed his blood so that all who see him and seek salvation and refuge and mercy in him can find it. So let's pray and let's go to this table together. Pray with me. Father, indeed, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to see this morning. 
that you would open our eyes to the beauty of our King, that you would open our eyes to our need for mercy. Father, we thank you for all that we have in Christ. We thank you that Christ does indeed have time for beggars and the forgotten and those who know their need of him. And so we come to this table thankful for all that we have in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.